Right? <laughs> I keep saying seven because I said love seven last week more than once, and it's Judges chapter 6. And I repeatedly said Judges chapter 7. It is Judges and chapter 6. Amen. Judges in chapter 6. I got, I got some of you messed up because you're saying 7 and it's my fault from last week from saying 7 so much. Amen. So Judges in chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 25. So what we've, what we've just got past, okay, is the angel of the Lord sitting under the tree there and then he reveals himself to Gideon and says, Thou mighty man of valor. So even Gideon's name, it's kind of interesting. So Gideon's name means feller. Now we think, oh, he was a feller. He was, you know, a pretty good feller. No, the idea is it's a war term. In other words, Gideon's a guy that if you put him in the middle of the battle, behind him there's going to be a whole lot of people cut down, felled, okay? Uh, that's, it's an old English word we don't use anymore, but felled, meaning we fall a, we, we fall a tree, you know that's one of the words we use around the tree the idea used to be a war uh, the name used to be a war thought was a war word so Gideon was a guy who would rip through an army and there'd be a whole bunch of people cut down or fell behind him and it cracks me up because where do we first find Gideon hiding (laughs) he's hiding from the enemy okay so here we are we're on the next stage so Gideon, uh, Judges chap, Gideon chapter 6, that's great. Judges chapter 6, verse 25. And it came to pass the same night, so this is the same night where Gideon built an altar, he's talked to the Lord, that the Lord said unto him, so Jehovah again, he gets to hear this voice from the Lord, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal, that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. So I'm just going to deal with this now. There's, this whole verse has a lot in here that I still have not figured out. Okay, um, The word even, the whole idea of the second bullock, a lot of people saying is talking about, typically if you're talking about a bullock, you're talking about a pair, not just one. Um, but near as I can tell reading through this, it sure looks like one bullock, and it was his father's second bullock. Okay, which could be an ox or a cow. An ox is essentially a cow. I mean, it's the same thing. And it calls it a young bullock at seven years old. For some people here, that might seem not so young. But in those days, they didn't consider it an adult until it hit five. Okay, five years old. So I'm just going to make this. Don't start thinking that somehow the Bible's messed up here. Uh, likely not. The oxen that they use for this time of, well, excuse me, not. <laughs> The Bible's not messed up here. It's our misunderstanding of it that might cause the confusion, not its uh, mistake. So a second bullock at seven years old, uh, this is one tough young bullock in the very beginning of the prime of his life. Uh, could easily live up to about 15 years. I'm just going to make that statement, and then we're going to move on. I'm not going to reference it again, okay? So God tells him, take that second bullock, the seven-year-old bullock, Throw down the altar. That's a violent language. Throw it down. Break it to pieces. The altar of Baal that thy father hath. Verse 26. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. 
and take that second bullock, the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants. Remember I told you Gideon talking about his family being poor was a little, I don't think he's referencing money. If you got ten servants, that's not exactly poor. Okay, but anyways, even in those days. He took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. They probably all knew what bullock that was, okay? And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, this, this is where I, I really like this guy as dad right now. This is, he stepped up. Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while is yet mourning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel, is how we say it, or Jerubbabel, saying, Let ba- Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. Okay, that's, and that's the whole story. Whole, the whole story. And the name Jerub, Jerubbabel, this is not um, making fun. Okay? This is a complimentary name that Joash gives Gideon, uh, basically saying, you know, hey, if Baal's such a big god, let him plead for himself. You know, this, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's like Gideon's the antagonist to Baal, and if Baal's real, here's the target. We're still waiting. And that's kind of the idea. So, all right, anyways, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you very much, Lord, for this, the life of Gideon and, Lord, uh, the lessons that we learned from him. I pray that you'd bless as we look tonight uh, at this portion of the story, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You you may be seated. I was going to tell you, there's a lot going on in this passage, and uh, by no means are we going to exhaust it tonight. I'm, uh, as a matter of fact... Even studying for it was extremely confusing because it was, which pathway am I supposed to run here? Because there's so many, there's a father-son interaction here. There's the whole thing about, I mean, the, the second bullock and then the tearing down of the grove. I'm, and we could spend time on all these things, and all those we'll touch a little bit on. And I even want to get deeper in, but I, I mean, it, literally, I was sitting in my office walking around going, you know, one of the things that we're, that as a preacher, you're looking for is what's the point? Where's the, where's the point in here? What's, what am I looking for? And I, I, I made myself, I'm looking at the passage, looking at the passage, I go, okay, maybe I've got my context too small, because sometimes that happens. You're, you get it so small that, that there's the, the actual story's bigger, and you've, you're looking at one piece too closely. You, know, you can't see the forest for the trees kind of deal. 
And so I backed out a little bit. Okay, let's look at this maybe a little bigger. And I'm saying, what's going on here? What, what is happening here? Well, God, here, this is the straight, as straightforward as you can get. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to skip by some stuff that might intrigue you, and I'll guarantee you intrigues me, and maybe down the road with a, you know, maybe another decade or two of ministry under my belt, I'll have something richer and deeper. But this is pretty good, I think. It was good for me anyways. So what's happening here? Here's the basis of the story. God is telling Gideon to do something, and Gideon is doing it. Okay? That's the bait. That's as basic as you can get here. Now, if we back out just a little bit further, there's something else we notice. That this isn't the, the end goal that God has in mind for Gideon. This isn't the... God's got something out there. As a matter of fact, he told him at the beginning that he was going to save his nation Israel. He was going to deliver them. Okay? This isn't delivering the nation of Israel. Not this act per se. This isn't, this isn't the, the 300. This isn't the, the smashing of the, of the uh, pitchers and the, shout, the, the, you know, the blowing of the trumpets and the showing of the lights and Midian killing each other. I mean, this is not that. This isn't them chasing, through the, chasing the Midianites through the country and, and wiping them out. This is not that. This isn't Gideon leading the armies of Israel and wiping out. This is not that. But you can't tell me this isn't on the way to that. This is obviously on the way to that. I mean, there's even just the simple thing of, and again, there's one of those little side angles I'm seeing here, the really simple thing of leadership. Gideon, who we find alone, hiding, okay, has to make some personal things go on, and then now all of a sudden he's leading men in an attack against idolatry to restore, amen, the true worship to the Lord, to the nation of Israel. And down the road he's going to be leading 300, although he gathered tens of thousands. And then after that 300, there's even more that get involved. And I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. So I'm seeing some leadership prep here going on. It, it's, it is, remember that Gideon, we, again, how we found him and where we end up seeing him is a, is a progression in a life. We're seeing, we're seeing growth. We're seeing it compacted in a very short period, but we're seeing growth in a man who is learning to follow God, and in learning to follow God, he changes him. And listen, here's the progression. He changes himself, he changes his family, he changes the nation. It's a great, great story. And that's kind of where I want to back out. I want to look at this because God is working on Gideon for a plan for the future, but he knows that Gideon has got to get there. It's not going to happen now. There has to be some prep work done. Okay? So, the stage progression. It's, it's a simple, you're going to see this as plain as day. If we go back to verse 24, what do we have here? We have Gideon at the end of an interaction with God where he is, his own private worship has been restored. Look at verse 24. What does he do in verse 24? He sets up an altar, his own personal private altar, where he has met with God and God has talked with him. And he restored, what happened in Gideon's life is, he's not now hiding in the corner mad at God because God's not doing what he promised. Well, how come God's not taking care of our nation like he said he would? Now Gideon's own heart has been changed. And instead of anger against God, 
he now has a heart of worship towards God. So God's own, or Gideon's own private worship, his own private interaction with God has been restored and a lockdown place for worship has been, has, has been put in place. Now, in this passage, I would say this. So in the, in the previous, verse 24, God has restored Gideon's private worship. Now in this portion, God is using Gideon to restore his family's worship. His family, yeah. Whose altar to Baal was it? It was his dad's. It was his father's altar. It was his father's grove. And I know some of you know this, there's a lot of argument around that. You know what a grove is? This is real easy. A grove is a bunch of trees that are used for worship. Whether they're designed or not, and there's some argument about it. Those of you who understand and study it, there's a bunch of argument about it. But the word is continually throughout Scripture to describe a grove of trees. We use it only to talk about orchards, pretty much. But it's a grove of trees that is used for worship. You know, it's not like we have anything like that in the world today, do we? Beautiful places, shady, calming, pretty trees where there's a place to worship, right? We don't, there's no trees surrounding worship anywhere in the world, is there? Like Japan. Is everybody here? Tree huggers. Well, that's not worship. It absolutely is worship. It's worship. It's called, and they'll even tell you, they're worshiping Gaia, which is a very old Greek name for Mother Earth. That's worship. Where, it's always funny to me is, where do you find some of the largest group of weirdness and devil worshipers? It's always in some of the most beautiful places in the world. Just crazy. Some of the weirdest religions you've ever seen, some of the most beautiful places in the world. Anyways, God restores this. God, using Gideon, restores the family worship. Now, in this particular passage, it's interesting that to restore family worship, God said this. We need you to start here. We've got your own, we've got your personal private worship now has been, has been restored as a place to where it should be. Now, Gideon, we need, we need to use you. I'm going to use you to restore your family's worship. Now, Gideon, is a, he's obviously not a kid here. Okay, he's got ten servants, which means he has some place in the family. We're not talking about... And let's remember, let's go back to patriarchal times here. This isn't like, you know, Gideon's just a kid and Joash is like dad. You know, we're talking about families where Joash would be like the patriarch of the family. And everybody, I mean, you know, kind of like Missouri, you know, when when your kid got married, they just moved down to the other end of the property and threw up a house. That's what we got going on here. The the tents just got, they just got more tents or the tents got bigger. Okay, and this was a family business. All all of the agriculture was family business. And when the oldest male would die, the next oldest son, eldest son, would be become the patriarch for the family. But each family underneath that was semi-independent. Okay, but still they supported the family. So you understand here that this is Gideon. He's he's he seems to be a man with some means. He's got sons. I mean, later we find out he's got quite a few eventually. But he seems to be in the prime of life. He's, he's outside working, but he also has servants. So this is a man in the prime of life, and God says, your family's worship needs some adjustment, and I'm going to use you to do it. And when God has to adjust 
a family's worship? Look, can we just deal with this honestly? He didn't just tell Gideon to build an altar. There had to be some stuff tore out before some new stuff could be installed. There, and, and let me tell you, the words that God uses here for this old altar to Baal being torn down is a word of violence. It's like they use the, they use the oxen to literally pull it and break it in pieces. The idea isn't just they just kind of shoved it off to the side so maybe later they can shove it back. No, this thing, got, this thing was unusable when it was done. There was, there was just a recognition that that is the remnants of what used to be that altar that was up there. Ain't putting anything, that ain't going back together. You know, sometimes in our life, there are old, established worship centers in our families that we've inherited. Deep, matter of fact, it says that with this idol, there was a grove. That means there were trees planted, rooted, built up in the shade of. You know, there are things that, uh, I'm, touch, I'm touching on scary ground here, but there are things that sometimes your family holds dear, or that you hold dear because of your family, that if you really begin to look at it, it is taking the place and stealing from the worship of God in your life, and it needs to be gotten rid of with prejudice. Amen. Well, we've always done it this way. That does not mean it's right. Well, I have a lot of great memories around this. That does not mean it's right. Well, my dad took me golfing every Sunday. I have great memories from that. That's great. That does not make it right. Should you have been meeting with the church? Yet, do you hear that? It stole worship rightful worship to God and replaced it with something else. You hear me? When worship to God is being replaced, that this is something that was visible. It says it was a high place. In other words, it was a, a visible thing. That's, there's one reason Gideon did this at night. And by the way, we don't see any rebuke from the Lord for this. It's just a recognition that Gideon was a little fearful. Like you wouldn't be? Don't get after Gideon. You understand that this is a, a location where people would have been worshiping during the day. There would have been priests there. There would have been sacrifices being made. And the grove was a location for some, near as we can tell, some pretty w- wicked actions in, in uh, the name of worship. Things that the Israelites knew were wicked, by the way. They, I mean, the Word of God was quite clear this is wickedness. And they were told, and so... It's right up on top of a hill place. It's a prominent thing for the family. It's right there. Not only is it prominent for the family, it's so prominent for the family that the men of the city also partake in the family's business and understand how important it is. And they're shocked by the change in the family. Listen, you hear what I'm saying? Is everybody here? Sometimes restoring a family to the rightful place of God means you've got to get in and dig out and root out some long-held beliefs, long-held and deep-rooted loves and precious places. Sometimes it's something that's beautiful, revered. 
Have you ever heard, listen, have you ever heard somebody who loves baseball talk about baseball? By the way, if you're a baseball lover here, you need to watch Ken Burns' eight-hour documentary series on baseball. Just telling you. It's awesome. But think about that. There is an eight-hour documentary series on baseball. And when you get done watching it, those of you who love baseball, there's going to be spots where you're going to be going, (laughs) why? Because it's awesome. But that preciousness and the way people see that, and literally sometimes some family lineage connected with baseball should never supersede the worship of God in a family's life. It ought to be a family-recognized thing. The high place needs to be, and it's easy to say, the high place needs to be God's worship. The family ought to be able to say, your kids, when asked, ought to be able to answer. What's important to your family? Click. This and this and this. Ding, ding, ding. Well, what is it? Well, we had to be, and there's lots of things that can go there. Well, it's family time. You know, if there's a family thing, then the whole family's got to be there. If, how about this? Maybe it's a, well, I'm just going to be honest. It's sports. We're always into sports. I'm a sports lover, so, okay. We could, and I'm going to name a whole lot of stuff. We could do anything. Well, it was the business. We're all into the family business. Oh, well, we are a family. We are workers. We've got to be into workers. Let's, high points, things that, things that the whole family look at and say, that's us. That's the, that's the Knutsons. That's the Linningers. That's the, that's the, the Beers. That's us. You know, or Beers, Vandivers. <laughs> the Beers, too, whatever they are. <laughs> You, know, you hear what I'm saying? You know what the highest place ought to be for every family? You know what? That might mean that something else that is revered needs to get thrown out and torn down in replace of. And by the way, you know it's how often we say, oh, I think I can balance it out. No, some things just need to be flat ripped out and thrown away and restarted. Well, that just don't seem right. Well, if, if you're hoping for a new nation or your nation to get right, we're not going to get there without starting back at a family. So Gideon, the stage progression is Gideon first, was re, his own private worship was restored. And then, of course, in this passage, we see the family worship is restored. And then later we know, and I'm going to get there, but God uses uh, Gideon to restore a nation's worship. Now, we do run into some issues there, and I'm not going to get too far along with it, but the, 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 what's going to happen for Gideon then is going to involve a whole lot of faith, and is it going to involve Gideon leading some other men who are also men who are full of faith? I mean, it's, just, it's a kind of an interesting thing. So here's this progression we've got where God, God wants, to, he wants to do the whole nation but if he's going to work with the nation, he's got to start with one man. Every man first himself. 
I just want God to wipe everything out and change all things. Why can't God just do something great in our nation and cause a big revival? Great idea. And let it begin with me in my shoes. And that's what Gideon said. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with Gideon. I mean, God said we're going to start with Gideon. And then now that we got Gideon, now we're going to start working. Now we're going to work on Gideon's family. And then now that we've got Gideon's family, now we're going to move out here and now we'll start working on the nation. This is the progression, if you will, the stage of how God is going to work. And it's interesting that in each one of these stages, God reveals himself in just a wonderful way. In each one of these stages, God reveals himself in a wonderful way, specifically to the man he's using to do the work. Think about it here at the beginning. Gideon's really kind of clueless that this is God involved until he brings the food and God, you know, which is like wealth and the, the nation's impoverished and he's bringing him food out of respect for what this guy is a prophet from the Lord and then next you know he's dumping out the whole bowl of soup he made and now he's putting his, the food and the meat and the biscuits that he's put together, he puts them down on the rock and then God touches it, woof, and all of a sudden Gideon goes, uh-oh, <laughs> well, I'm in trouble, that was God I was talking to. And I was kind of mouthy about it. And God says, don't worry. You recognize that God revealed himself where Gideon walked away from that going, I have met with God. You say, well, where is that in the family thing? Well, do you remember in the story here, Gideon, it says in verse 27, that he wouldn't do it during the daytime. Why? Because he feared his father's household and the men of the city. He doesn't necessarily fear his father. Could be part of that. He feared his father's household. Why? They must have actively used the worship center that was his father's. And the men of the city must have got involved too. By the way, this, is, this wouldn't be a, a, like a, a one-off. The, these little high places would have been like one amongst many in the nation. This his wasn't the only family that had a little altar to Baal and a grove up there. It just would have been maybe his dad had one of the nice ones in town. There would have been every high spot in the, air, in the town probably was dotted with these things. So here's Gideon. He does it at night because he's scared to death. Why? He don't want to go up there in the daytime. He's liable to have a fight on his hands. And he really kind of hopes you know, nobody's going to find out about it. You know, doing it at night. At the same time, if you've got ten men with you, somebody's going to talk. So they start figuring out, who did this? Gideon did it. Okay. So here's Gideon. And now he's going, he's probably, I'm just picturing, it, we just kind of, Gideon just kind of disappears in this part of the conversation, doesn't he? If It looks like Gideon, he may have been back hiding again. Because the conversation, Gideon's nowhere to be found. But what happens is Joash, because of, listen, because of the boldness for God of his son Gideon, even in the middle of the night, Joash says, he's right. And Joash, his own father, is encouraged to step forward and say, if Baal's all that great, how come he can't defend himself? I don't know if you know this, but you know, our God doesn't need you to defend him. He's pretty good at defending himself. God can take care of himself. My, I love my dad's old statement about when the King James Bible would come up and arguments about it, and he said, he said, 
He said, all these people that are against the King James, he said, and they're turning their heart and mind against King James, he said, they're like a whole bunch of guys with toothpicks in their hands looking at the rock of Gibraltar saying, we're going to turn it over, we're going to turn it over. He said, but just as bad as all the people who think they're going to defend God by standing on the rock of Gibraltar with their little toothpicks saying, we're not going to let you, we're not going to let you. God doesn't need us to defend him. He's going to be around. He'll take care of himself. But Baal, on the other hand, (laughs) and Joash knew it. You know, if this God's so great, how come he couldn't even stop his own trees from being cut down? How come he couldn't stop his own altar from getting knocked over? By my son Gideon. You think Joash doesn't know Gideon? I named him a warrior, but have you seen him? He's hiding over there behind the... Not much of a warrior. Joash steps up. Can you imagine the response of Gideon? I am so dead. I am so dead. Oh, man. They're out there talking to him right now. Can, can I run somewhere? Yeah, can, you, can we hide? I mean, what, what's going on? Well, they got, oh, my goodness. Can you, he's saying what? <laughs> he's doing what? Gideon walked out of that going, wow. The Lord changed my father's heart. The Lord has put... He, listen, Gideon was protected in this. Don't tell me Gideon didn't walk out of this going, wow, you do stuff for God. It changes people. Wow. Amen. Do you remember what Gideon called God when he built his own private altar? The Lord is my peace. Jehovah Shalom. Because Gideon didn't have any. He was full of fear. The Lord is my peace. Now it's that thing has been, Bing has been, again. So the miraculous response of his father. Old idols torn down, the family altars restored, and Gideon's fear is comforted because his father steps up and defends him. Not only defends him, but gives him a new name as a result. And then, of course, if we go on to the national freedom, I mean, if you don't understand that God's been revealed there, we'll get to it eventually. The old enemy's driven out. Um, it doesn't really look like national worship is restored, but the enemy's driven out. And again, Gideon's fear is comforted, and we'll get to there. He was worried about attacking them, and God said, okay, that's fine. Take your servant and just go down there, sneak down by the camp and listen. And God, Gideon gets to hear a whole conversation that just encourages him, says, man, God is on my side. I mean, this is cool. In every step of the stage, God showed up and says, it's all right, keep going. And every time Gideon took a step, God went, and here's some more blessings. And here's some more blessing. You know, come on, it's all right. You can do this. Here's a little more proof that you can do this. Thank the Lord. God is a patient God. And then lastly, in every stage, and I'm going to touch this again, but there, there was always something that had to be gotten rid of before proper worship could be restored. In Gideon's own life, what was it? Fear and doubt and anger, frankly. Remember, we talked about that last Sunday night. Gideon was angry at the Lord. Where is all the miracles that our fathers told us of? His fear and doubt and anger, and that was gone, or at least dealt with. God, he had to get rid of his own fear and anger before he could worship privately. In, in this part, it could be, I don't know if it's Joash's lack of leadership, but it's certainly, again, Gideon's fear and the family's false religion had to be gotten rid of so that worship could be restored. And again, in the last one, the national one, again, Gideon's fear and the, the, enemy, the enemies of God and the Midianites. 
that had to be removed. In every stage, before something that God's worship, the, 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 the worship and honor of God could be, there, all those, there had to be something tore out. There had to be something tore out. Uh, I've told you before about people I know who they were so addicted to certain things and when they, got, when they became a believer, uh, like one guy got rid of, he completely got rid of uh, all, of his, all of his golf equipment because Sunday for him was golf day. Not that golf was a sin, but if he had his golf equipment, he'd be overly tempted to not go to church and that's where he needed to be. So all of his golf equipment went out the window with prejudice. Well, I can't believe that. Why would he do that? Because he found out that there was something more important than his precious Sunday relaxation. Everybody here? I remember my own life. <clears throat> love to read. Man, I love to read. And uh, thank the Lord I'm getting some of that back. I'm kind of getting back into reading again. I think I've got oh, maybe 80 or 90 books between listening and reading over the last couple of years. So I feel like I'm getting it back under my, under my belt again. And, but there was a time when I was, should have been studying my, my Bible, should have been spending time in the Word and in, in books to help me with the Word, and all I was reading was fun books. And I ended up getting rid of a pretty good size of number, I think in the hundred plus, of books that I owned, and some were gifts to me, and were precious from family, that, that were distracting my attention from what my job was. And I got rid of them all. I threw them all away. Why didn't you sell them? Because I had to do it with prejudice. They had to go. Why? Because I, wasn't, I was not where I needed to be in my own worship. And so they had to be removed. Now guess what? All those books are now back in my library. Now. But they're not stealing anything from the worship of God. And by God's grace, they won't ever again. And if they do, they're going back in the trash. And I'll have to rebuy them later. <laughs> if, you know, hear what I'm saying? Is everybody here? You know, sometimes what we, want, we say we want God so bad and we're not willing to address the fact that when, if we really want God, there might be some things that are going to have to get removed. Well, I like my sleep. Well, if you really want to get a hold of God, sleep might be something you're going to have to give up. Well, I'm just not sure about that fasting thing. If you really, if you really want to have a touch, a contact with God, you might have to give up some food. So not, so, not so you can get a hold of God, but so God can get a hold of you. You hear me? Well, I'm just not going to, there's something, you know, this is our family time, you know, Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday, whatever. This is our family time. I'm just not going to give up family time. Family time's important. I agree, family time's important. But maybe what you got there needs to be ripped out and put somewhere else. If it's stealing, listen, stealing from the worship of the one true God. God wants you to grow in your faith, does he not? God may be preparing somebody in this room, probably all of us. Kind of hard to imagine that God's not preparing everybody in this room for something greater than what they're doing right now. 
Gideon was one of those fortunate enough to hear the words, I'm going to use you to save a nation. Some people, some people get that call. You know, I, I've, known, I've known since the time, literally, if I was probably seven or eight years old, that the Lord had put it in my heart to be a preacher. I didn't get called to do that until I was, I mean, that I knew by God until I was 15. But even then, it wasn't like 15 years old. Here's a congregation of 3,000. And can I tell you this? Sometimes a congregation of 3,000 isn't the greatest work a man can do. I've been reminded of this story again and again and again. But, and I think I've even told you the story. And to this day, I don't know this preacher's name. I only know the story around it. And it's been told in so many places, including by the man he affected. But an, old pre- an older preacher, nor- well north of 70, his wife had passed away. And uh, even the deacons walking into his office and saying, Preacher, I-, I just don't even know if you've got a ministry that's really producing anything. Maybe it's time for you to retire or move on or do something else. And the preacher himself, half agreeing with the deacon, going, you might be right, but this is what God's called me to do, and I, I can't do anything else. And then some little boy walk in, who's the only person who got saved, and the deacon making fun of him for that. All you've had is one convert. And then that next Sunday, that one convert little boy walking up and say, you know, Pastor, I'm thinking God might want me to be a missionary. Turns out that this is the missionary by the name of Robert Moffat, who would be like the beginning of the modern missions movement. One of the great, literally, up to still up to this day, amongst missionaries is one of the greatest missionaries recognized for his work in the field, and he was pastored by a nobody who did his greatest work when. <laughs> When he was past retirement age, pastoring a congregation that would fit in the pocket of a lot of big churches. You hear what I'm saying? God's always bringing us to the work that he wants done. There's a work for each of us, and I have no doubt of this, not just preachers. There's a work for each of us that God has for us on this planet. And God is not, God is not a God who says, here, Boom, here's the biggest work I want you to do. Carry that for a while. (laughs) No, God says, how about you just start with you? Let's start with you. I sure wish God had used me. I sure want God to do things in my family. I really, listen, who in the room doesn't look at our nation and say, God, please do something? You know, stop looking at the nation and start, start looking at the person who's filling the shoes at the end of those two appendages at the bottom of your body. Start there. What does God want me to do? First, we've got to fix me. And let me tell you, you know what? God has patience for people. Even for the people who start looking and saying, God, you know, how in the world... Do you think you're going to have any influence on your family when you haven't even learned how to fix you yet? How in the world do you think you're going to have any influence on your town or your community or your, where you are if you haven't even figured out how to take care of yourself yet? And by the way, you can. That's what Scripture's for. 
That's what this whole interaction between Gideon and God was for, was to restore Gideon's trust and faith in God and finding his peace, not from his own ability and from his own talent, but seeking his peace from God and by obedience to God. What do you mean obedience? Well, what, what did God tell him? Why don't you uh, put your cakes right here? Okay. Pour the soup out. Do you know how much this is probably, this could feed some people. Pour the soup out. Yes, sir. There's obedience there. Go tear down your father's worship center. Who? Huh? Get rid of 20,000 of these guys. You have too many. Who? Huh? You want me to attack an unnumbered group of enemy with 300 guys? <laughs> you hear that? You, you don't learn to obey here if you don't learn first to obey here. And you're not going to affect the worship here if you're not ha- having worship here. And you're blasted not going to fix your family and their worship if you haven't fixed your own worship. Be faithful at home. This isn't even the, this isn't even the, the reach that Gideon is going to have. Where are we at right now? This is simple stuff. You want God to start working in your nation and your family, then you need to start you need to start letting God work in you. In you. How's your worship of God privately? Amen. How's your worship of God privately? And I'm not talking to just men here. I'm talking to everybody in the room. How is your walk with God right now? Well, I have my devotions. Those are good things. Every day it should be in your Bible. Every day. But how's your worship? Your worship. Between you and God, where's the worship? Amen. This is fair. That's very fair. Got your own worship. Now we can start talking to the family. How's the family worship? Well, I really want, I really want to affect the whole city of Jerome. I want to affect Jerome. I want to affect Idaho. I want to affect my nation. Great. How's things at the house? You're going to have an awful hard time affecting them if you can't even affect the people in your own house. How do you change your town and your country if you can't change your own family? Well, let's, let's, let's do it in reverse. I want to change the world. I want to change my country. I want to see my country change. Great. How are you going to do this if you haven't even changed what you can affect in your own family? And how in the world are you going to change the family if you haven't even started working on the things that you can affect in your own life? And none of that happens without one primary thing. God himself. And you're recognizing that he is God. And that his worship is the most important thing in your life. And some stuff, listen, even maybe some old family, sacred, hollowed ground, needs to be ripped up and torn out. And new things, godly things, put in its place. Amen. So I've got a lot of young families in here. This is what I'd tell you. 
Start, if, start putting the good things on the high places right now. Start, make, start helping your kids understand what's important right now. At the top of the list, what is it? The worship. Not just God. Not just God. There's a lot of families out there who are devoted to God. Who are going to all end up in hell. Listen. Worship. And that's going to have to start with, listen, dads, man of the house, you yourself, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to get, find a place by yourself where you can meet with God and figure out what that means in reality. I can preach it from here all day long, but until you take it home and you privately in your bedroom or your office or wherever it is that you can find a hole early in the morning, late at night, in your car, someplace where you can get it. Moms, you want to affect your kids? Where is your spot? Where is your spot where it's you and God and God alone, where you are learning how to look at God and say, God, you are so good to me. You are holy. You are righteous and mighty. Amen. It takes a bit of work. But I love the patience of God. Listen, I love the patience of God in this process. He wants to use everyone in here like he uses Gideon. And he's patient. And he can spend his time working with just you. Until you get it. Until you can set up your own altar and say, I love God. I love God. This this is the spot I met with God right here. Me and God, we met here. Amen. And then take it to your family. Because now you've saw, the, you've saw the movement with God in yourself. Now take it to yourself or to your family. Hey, God can meet with you. Let's meet with God. Amen. And then maybe, if we're lucky, God can use us to affect something bigger than just us and our family. By the way, I'd be okay if the whole result of my ministry was three kids who serve the Lord. My kids. I always want more. Always. What preacher doesn't? But y'all heard of Noah, haven't you? 120 years of ministry and he changed the whole world because he changed his family and even lost some of them. Everybody here? The story of Gideon is the story of the patience of God working with fearful people. Well, I'm small. That's okay. God is okay with starting small. I'm too fearful. Well, that's all right. God can work with fearful. Well, I'm not talented. That's all right. God can work with the fearful. Amen. Meet with God. Meet with God. You, yourself, restore your private worship with God. And then maybe God can do things in your family that you might be surprised at.
but we're not going to get here until we get past there. Father,